This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Alice Living, best-selling author, personal trainer, and host of Give Me Strength, where we discuss the positives of living a stronger life physically and mentally with the hope to inspire you to do the same. Welcome to Give Me Strength. My guest today is someone who I have had the pleasure of working with recently and who I know is going to give you an injection of energy, positivity, and motivation in abundance today. Wendy O'Byrne, also known as the Completion Coach on Instagram, is a coach who specializes in supporting entrepreneurs, creatives, and public figures who are looking for their full desires to be unearthed and to get more out of both life and business. And whilst I probably could try and do justice to what Wendy does in this introduction, I feel like let's just start chatting because what you do is probably going to come across so much better in our conversation. And I feel like you can just be your true authentic self and and share a little bit more about what you do to help. So Wendy, how are you doing? Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for the intro as well. I'm like, I'm impressed. (laughs) I mean, it's been um, a really enjoyable process working with you. And I think that, you know, you are someone who I felt like was always on my radar for ages. And I kept seeing you pop up both from Megan and from a couple of other people. And I was like, this woman's interesting me. I feel like there's this energy drawing me to her. And since we started working together, I mean, I came into it thinking you were like a business coach. And it just so happened that so much other stuff came, came along with that. Um, So I wondered if you could explain a little bit more about the role that you've created for yourself and really how how you help people. Definitely. I mean, it's changed so much since when I started. But the reality of anything is everybody knows logically what they want to do. And logically, we can understand what we should be doing. But fundamentally, we're not. (laughs) You know, it gets to the point where we get stuck in a loop and where we get stuck where when it started with the completion coach, people were like, oh, you're going to help me productivity wise. And I was like, oh, no, it's not that. It's just you can't do something unless you've got the emotional strategy. And nobody looks for that. Everybody's looking for the five steps to what can I do? How do I get there? And Mm. beating themselves up that they're getting in the same cycle on repeat of never 
never seeing something through or valuing things for themselves. And what I do is work on the emotional strategy so that the rational side of you can then do the steps. Yeah, like it's so it's so interesting how you say that because I think that's where a lot of people find themselves at the moment. I feel like COVID was a big shift for a lot of people in terms of, and when I say COVID, I mean like the last two years of the pandemic that we've gone through. It's been such a big wake up call for a lot of people. It's been really challenging for a hell of a lot of people. And I think people are almost coming out of the back of it sort of thinking, you know, am I enjoying what I do? Do I like my life? Am I happy? You know, all these questions that maybe previously we probably wouldn't have thought about and you just carried on doing the same thing. I think that it's really been a big shakeup for a lot of people, myself included. Have you seen that? Do you feel that? Massively. And I think now is when we're really feeling it as we come back out, more so because we've got, you know, that there's that statement, we're all in it together. And we were, but everybody experienced it so differently, Mm -hmm. uh, including people in the same household having completely different experiences. And I think that's when people could finally understand if I'm experiencing something that we're both having the experience of so differently, maybe there's more things that we're experiencing quite differently as well in life. Maybe this is why we don't see things the same way or understand. Obviously, it caused a huge amount of divide. And I think there's been so much division in the last two years in so many ways that most people came out of this exhausted, Mm. you know, and now that we are back open as such, and the world continues to throw so many divisive subjects at us, people are continuing to feel exhausted. And either they spent a lot of time in self development, and actually consumed so much in the last two years, they're overwhelmed with how much they think they've got to fix, or they spent the last two years, you know, feeling really good about not having so many commitments or not having to say yes to so many things and realizing that they enjoyed less Mm. and I think there's a lot of confusion with that as we come back out and feeling a lot of people have been feeling guilty that they want more again Mm. you know so they went through this whole part of undressing and unearthing the fact that less was more to them and now that it's available again and they do want a little bit of that more again they're experiencing guilt Um, And so again, everything's feeding back into there's something wrong with what I want. Mm. Uh, And whether or not you're a good or a bad person, I think the divide on whether you're good or bad has been a huge thing in the last couple of years. Yeah, definitely. And I think that um, your role within this, and I actually, I should have started with this because I would love to know the story. And I actually don't think we've properly gone through it, but how you've got to where you are has obviously shaped how you are now able to help other people, right? You are someone who comes with such a breadth of, of experience and knowledge that sessions with you feel so all-encompassing. Like I said at the start, it's not just that you're a coach. It's not just that you help with business strategy, for example. There is so much there. And I'd love to go back and understand your path to where you are right now. I mean, you don't have to tell us everything. Don't worry. <laughs> oh, you won't but, have time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but just a little bit about how you've got to where you are. Um, I think that, so for example, I'm just going to share my experience, but I find helping people sometimes is so rewarding and so incredible, but it's also depleting at times. And it's it can be it can throw challenges at you and it can be hard sometimes when you're not feeling full or giving, you still have to give to others. And that can be sometimes, like I said, depleting. But I'd love to understand your path to becoming a giving person. You know, I think there's a certain type of person that becomes someone who gives of themselves to others. Do you see what I mean? Definitely. It was a very long and winding path. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 44, uh, around the age of 32. 
I had what I would still call, I don't know, can I swear on here? That's one of the Of course things. you can. Of course yeah, you can. I had a moment where I fucked everything out the window, basically. I decided that I was in the wrong relationship. I had just brought a house with that person as well, and we had just moved into it. Um, I realized I was really unfulfilled. I was really quite sad. Um, I was doing a job that although I loved the people I worked with, I was really frustrated by the job that I was doing. And I didn't I didn't want what other people wanted. So everybody around me was getting married and having kids. And I was thinking, oh, that scares the life out of me. No. Um, <laughs> so I, I came out of that relationship, but it was really turbulent couple of years. So many problems came up within that. I got really drunk for two years, which wasn't helpful, uh, in complete avoidance mode. And then I started to just think, I can't live like this. I just can't carry on this way. I can't just pretend. And I remember booking a therapy session. <laughs> and this still makes me laugh. Like I booked a therapy session. She was an amazing therapist, but I paid my money, went to it, and I cried. And I never said a single word for an hour. I just cried. And when I came out, I was like, that was a 200 pound cry. Um, I'm going to have to think of a different way. <laughs> so, um, and then I realized that everything was so bottled up. Um, like, and not from hugely traumatic experiences, but from so many experiences I'd never actually processed. Mm. And so many decisions I'd never made. Mm. I was so compliant with everybody around me that I very rarely made decisions myself what I did was agreed with everybody around me, no matter what. Um, and I realized it was coming at a really great cost. So I started um, self-development. I started looking at things. I went through therapy. I had a coach. I went through the coaching exams uh, and started looking at things from there. And I started the business back in 2016, 2017. Um and before that, I'd been a financial advisor, but I was self-employed. So I'd been a company director since I was 30. Um, but then I left that business with some guilt because that was mm. also a business I was in with my sister. Um, I then came into coaching and what it started as and what it is now has just really naturally unfolded into, I would say, more and more bizarre more and more knowledge that came in because I was really clear that with this, I was going to follow what really interested me so that whilst I was giving, it was giving me back because one of the things that really motivates me is learning uh, and studying is one of the things. So although I had to do financial exams every year of my life to stay qualified, uh, so I was very used to being examined for what I do, with this, I was actually interested in so many different subjects. And the more that I dug into those subjects the more rewarding the work was to then go and do that and practice it with humans in real life mm. um so yeah to end up giving as you say it's such a joy because I get to do so much of it live with people and I see the instant results or I see the shifts that we're going through um and learning to do that when I was doing webinars and couldn't see people uh, was really difficult initially because I couldn't gauge what anybody was gauging from it. <laughs> mm. um, so I am lucky in the sense now that I see most of the people. So when I'm giving, I'm receiving because it's a, a, a natural thing. It's with the site I can receive that back. Mm. Um, but it does mean that I have to have some really strong boundaries outside of my work as well to not constantly be in coach mode and to step away and just be like everybody else at the weekend, step away from things, step away from DMs and have boundaries about what I can and can't answer. Yeah. We're going to cover boundaries 
in a bit because I think it's a really important conversation, something that you and I have discussed. Um, but I wanted to kind of open up in terms of, you know, this conversation. One of the things that I am deeply conscious of, and I'm not going to use this as a personal therapy session, I promise, but <laughs> I think that one of the things that I have felt and that a lot of other people have felt is a sense of detachment. And by that, I mean detachment from ourselves a lot of the time, but also a sense of detachment from other people. And I think that it's definitely something that I have noticed grow, particularly through COVID. You know, we became very isolated. Sorry to talk about it again, but I think it was really instrumental in in how people now feel and where we've arrived at at this point in our lives. And I definitely felt a sense of, I feel very detached from both myself and from the community around me, the people that I usually lean on, the relationships that I had before that aren't necessarily there in the same way anymore. And I wondered if you had felt the same with your clients that you work with and maybe a little bit of an understanding as to why that might be. Yeah, I think detachment was almost um, self-preservation to a certain degree. You had to detach from some elements of it, otherwise it was too overwhelming. Detaching from the fact that you know, going to visit a relative's house at one point was against the law, almost, you know, you weren't allowed to do things that were so natural, Um, Mm. bumping into people in the street that you knew, and having to stand back and treat each other as if we were dangerous. Um, There's so many things there that were causing a detachment from human beings from touch. Um, And what we do is we communicate so often through our bodies and through touch, and we were rigid, You know, am I far enough away? Am I doing the right things? Am I allowed to do this? Is this right? Um, And for so many people, the isolation of living on their own or just staying at home for such a long period of time with a partner or relative, whoever we were living with, isn't normal life. So again, you were detaching from your own story of existing or rather coming into existence rather than living. And when we detach from ourselves and we detach from our emotions and our needs, it's because we know we can't get them met, you know, and at that point, we weren't getting things met in so many ways, because it's not the same to give somebody a call sometimes as it is to pop and sit over coffee with them. Mm. Uh, there's so many things we were unable to even getting out and going out going to work meets so many needs, mm. physically, uh, going to a gym meet so many needs that training in your living room can't always achieve if you are used to getting out and being in a different environment. I detached even from nature, which is one of my biggest medicines. But because we were only allowed to go for a walk in a certain distance, there was a point where I was just switched off when I was going for that walk. And it was just, this is what I'm allowed to do rather than this gives me something and I enjoy doing it. Mm. Um, It's one of those things that when we detach then from the meaning of anything, then it's meaningless. Mm. When we don't have meaning, we feel like we don't have purpose. Mm. When we feel like we don't have purpose, we feel like we're existing. So it, it just takes us back into a negative loop. But the reality is, whatever we are doing day to day usually has meaning. This says this about me. You know, this confirms this about me. This is who I am. This is what I do. This is even how I dress. In two years, so many people didn't get dressed as normal like they would. It's huge. Mm. It's a huge part of our identity that we, we're discounting as like really small things. But when you haven't so much as got dressed and gone out and socialized or worked or had routine, 
when we lose routine, again, we lose a sense of direction. So for two years, we lived in a bit of a fog of unknown uncertainty with no direction, no, no feeling of purpose, which is often routine and identity. Mm. Uh, and when there's no joy in that, like the small things we were getting excited about were so often like, well, can I have it? People booking holidays saying, well, I won't trust it till I get there. Yeah. You know, so we lost trust. Mm-hmm. And when we lose trust, one of the biggest things we do straight away is disassociate. I don't trust you and I don't trust me and I don't trust what we're going to do or I don't trust the rules. And so when there's a lack of trust, we disassociate for safety. Mm. That was a long yeah. answer, sorry. <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't, it was every word. I was like, yes, I completely hear you. And I think that one of the things that you mentioned there, um, first of all, the disassociation, I completely hear that that is because, and you're so right, we, we were just we were existing, we weren't living, we were existing and we were existing in a state of fear, which is which is never a good way to be. But one of the things you mentioned was about that internal dialogue that we have with ourselves, that internal voice that says, you can't do this. This is the, the kind of um, the boundaries that I'm going to put on myself. I'm not good at this. I'm good at that. This is what I do. This is my identity. And I think our internal voice is something that for a lot of people was probably a lot louder over the last two years because what else have you got going on? Like that internal (laughs) voice was able to be the chatter in your head. And, you know, I'm someone who... I don't always want to keep bringing it back to me, but I'm definitely someone who has a very loud internal negative voice and challenging that is a hard thing that I have to do on almost a daily basis. And I know that so many people are in the same place. That voice inside their head is, you can't do this. You're not good at that. You aren't able to do this. How do you help people to sort of tune into that inner dialogue and help people to work with it rather than work against it, you know, or be controlled by it? Yeah, and I think it is working with it. Uh, and recognizing the inner dialogue somewhere along the line has got trapped within you as believing it's fact. It very rarely has any supporting documents. You know, there's no proof. But because we're running with it as fact, and it's a feeling that it's fact, that we just run with it, and that voice gets to be trusted, even though when I ask people, where's the proof then? Can you show me how this is true? They'll be like, well, I haven't got any proof. Um, you know, a call I had with somebody this morning was around exams and the belief that I can't do exams. And I was like, well, from proof then, when has this happened in the past? And she's never not passed an exam. But the feeling of inadequacy comes from somewhere else. It's always somewhere else. And she has associated it with that. So it's become, I can't do different things. I can't do these new things. And actually, I don't Mm. have permission to grow outside of where I am. And when we're looking at that, and again, As humans, it's built into us to look for, can I believe this rather than, is this true? Can I believe this, something negative about myself? Yeah, probably. We are our biggest enemy in so many ways internally. Is this true is a very different question. And actually, within critical thinking, it's what we need to be applying to so many other things, including, you know, we've spoke about before, online um, problems, Um, with trolling or with people believing something about people they don't know Mm. quite often it comes down to does it serve me to believe this rather than is this true do I have facts Mm. on this and is it relevant and is there a truth to it and unfortunately we're very programmed for instant instant rewards I'm touching my own shoulder there but that instant touch um, is the same thing for if we associate it to doing a workout so many people can swerve a workout 
by staying in bed in the morning because the instant reward is there. I'm going to feel safe in bed and it's nice. Whereas the workout won't give me an instant result. I've got to stay with it and it's got to take time and I've got to trust the process and I've got to allow that process to happen. And the majority of people can't do that. Mm. It works in a negative way and a positive way for people that can't give up something negative, for example, smoking. It's because one cigarette at the end of it, you're not going to instantly be ill or have this moment of diagnosis of anything, even though the packet has all of these warnings, the brain is going, but one is safe. And so we're taking it in that direction. We're using it because our bias is to go in that direction. Mm. With something positive, one workout, our bias is going, but that's not going to do anything. So what's the point? Mm. So the way that our brain works against us in both of those scenarios is on the negative bias, it's that that's not going to hurt me, one won't hurt. And on the positive bias, when we're trying to say, okay, this is a positive thing that's going to take some time, we'll go, well, there's no instant reward, so I'm not going to do that. Mm. Uh, And we'll try to get the instant reward, which is I get to lay in this morning. Mm. So it's just really working out and being able to work against our brains to go, even though I can't see this long-term reward, I know this is who I want to be. So it has to be moved away from an instant gratification of I want to get into those genes or I want to do this or I want to be, and it's my health matters. And until we shift our perspective into I'm a healthy person and I choose things that, that serve my health, then the small things that we're actually doing don't matter. Mm. You know, whether you, you put down one cigarette one day or whether you exercise one day what you're doing is supporting the theory that I am a healthy person I'm choosing my health but Mm. that's got to be something that's really important to you Mm. because you're not going to see instant rewards from not doing the bad thing or doing the thing that's taking you towards the way that you want to go yeah we're an instant gratification lifestyle now we want it on demand we want it instantly and if we don't get an instant hit from it then again, we can easily manipulate ourselves out. So the inner critic um, and the internal voices that we have are people that we have to befriend. I call mine Dave. So that I'm really <laughs> clear that that's not my fault. Yeah. Um, so I used to have a well-known catchphrase, which was have a day off, Dave. Because if I needed to get something done, I needed to let Dave know, have a day off. I can't sit with these thoughts and just get stuck in it. So naming the thoughts and naming my critic was really easy to just be able to confirm they are not my thoughts. Mm. They are beliefs and my beliefs are always coming from somewhere else. Mm. Uh, And so giving myself that A, added humor, which personally for me is important because when I add humor to something, I'll get involved. Mm -hmm. Uh, But B, also gives me the space to go, okay, there's a part of me saying like, you can't do this. You shouldn't be doing this. Who do you think you are? You've made numerous fuck ups in life. How dare you be telling people how to do something? You were a bad person in 2012 uh, and people are going to find out about you that, you know, all of those things will come up. But the reality being, I know those things about myself. And if I can meet myself there and go, well, who I was then and who I am now are different. And, the choices that I'm making today are better than the choices I was making yesterday. And I'm consistently open to being wrong, then you won't go far wrong. Mm. You know, I'm consistently open to being wrong. Mm. And 
that's where my even within everything as I say division wise in the last couple of years my personal standpoint was don't get too hooked on anything because fact just be consistently open to finding out yeah be curious rather than being aggressive be curious Mm. rather than being right and having to be right about everybody because not everybody's having my experience yeah and I think there's something in like I I'm really fascinated by uh, I've literally talked about it so much already but the last the the, the experience of the pandemic because I think it was I think it existed before then but I think that one of the things that you've just said which I which I really think is a big topic is this sense of sort of tribalism this creating an identity by these are my people and we believe this and you are therefore bad because you believe that you know like I think that it's created this divisive society that just means that a lot of people are just quite angry a lot of the time on both sides not just on one on both sides of whatever the argument is and look you and I can both sit here with good moral compasses and know difference between right and wrong right we know relatively and most people do the difference between right and wrong but when the water is much murkier than that when there isn't a clear this is right and this is wrong it becomes really hard for people to know where they stand and know how to respond to that level of divisiveness you know and I think that the way you approach it is so much healthier I never want to lead with aggression or with hatred right? That's not in my personality and it's not in my nature to lead with aggression or hatred or kind of viciousness. But I also have a part of me that's, I like to be right. I like to be on the right side of things. I like to do the right thing. So then where do you find yourself? You know, like, I don't even know where I'm going with this, but I just feel like there's, there's a lot of confusion and there's a lot of people who just find themselves being really confused about how to be, who to be, what to say, what to do. And it all comes back to that sense of, you know, identity. Who am I? What's my purpose in this world? How do I find who I am? I remember when I first came to you, that was one of the things that I said. Who am I? What am I? You know, I'm going to be 30 next year. Who the fuck am I? Yeah. (laughs) Who is Alice Living? And I know that I am not the only person who feels like that. And I just, I'd love to hear how you help people I mean because I know because I've worked with you but how you help people find that sense of identity like you are not and I'm going to use the example because it's a one that's very present in people's minds but you are not pro-vax or anti-vax you are who you are you know and you might have different beliefs and you might have different feelings about things that doesn't define you who are you um And I think that that's got lost. And yeah, like I said, I'd love to hear how you help people sort of find that inner identity, tune back in with themselves. We'll be back after this. Welcome back to Give Me Strength. And realistically, identity is something people have lost. You know, they identify as an age, uh, as as a marital status, as a job, um, as somebody from this area. Uh, So many different things. Whereas in identity, it's like, what do you stand for? What do you believe in? What's important to you? And then are you living in alignment with that? Most people know, even if they like to think they are, they are presenting as what they believe they need to be rather than their truth, because they want to be accepted. 
and being accepted and feeling like they belong is more important than being who they are. Um, and that's a human trait. By So when we do get into this pack mentality, whether that's on, you know, any subject, uh, you know, as you say about vaccines, both people were operating from fear. One side were more scared of COVID and the other side were more scared of a vaccine. Both wanted the same thing, freedom, uh, and to get back to some normality. Both were scared of something different. That's the reality of it. And if we strip back from the extremist on either side, which is all we ever hear from, the majority of people are sitting in the middle going, I don't know. Mm. I don't know, but I'm scared. And, you know, all I want is to be heard. Mm. All I want is somebody to say, okay, you've got a point. Uh, And most people then will sit and have an open debate. I often say to anybody, you know, if you took everybody that's on a trolling website and actually put them in a room with the people they're talking about, the reality is they'll come out and they'll probably like that person. Yeah. Because the reality is with anybody, even people that we think, oh, I bet I don't like her or she irritates me or anything else is once we sit down with somebody, there is more that connects us than divides us. I spoke to 10 people in the last two days joining a group coaching program, different lives, same story, same being run by the same thing, which is they are all in fawn response, which is where they are all boundaryless. They all want to be accepted more than anything else. Um, They all think conflict would be the very worst thing. So rather than having conflict in any discussion, and by conflict, they just mean not having the same opinion as the person opposite you. Mm. They are all so afraid of, if I say this, I will be rejected, that they are self-rejecting before they can be rejected. How can I be who you want me to be so that I can stay? Mm. Um, And that's more common, you know, than most people would realize. That's the majority of people I work with in any way have got lost because they are so used to rejecting themselves to belong, to be accepted or acceptable, um, to say what they should say. Uh, to look like they should look, to only have comments that should be in line with what they're allowed to say. Mm. And in reality, the strange thing with men and women also, I know we've discussed this before, but men will attack each other physically more often and women will attack the avatar. How can I take you down? Um, And I want to take something from you. And within that mentality, because I still believe we're from a, a patriarchal society, is we have certain beliefs. We have beliefs about what mums should do, should look like, should behave like, should be with their children that we simply still don't have about dads. Mm. I can catch myself having a thought that I know I don't believe, but it's so imprinted in me that I have to catch myself that, oops, you know, I was about to go down there. We have thoughts about what women should do, how far they should rise, about how much space there is for them. If there's ever a show, a panel show or anything the men are all joyously joyous and the women we're deciding how much they hate each other, what the secret rifts are behind the scenes. There is this idea that there's not enough room for more than one woman in any space. And it, it creates this idea and this wounding in some way that we're, we're happy to cheer people on until they reach a certain level. And if they dare pass it, we need to drag them back down. And unfortunately, now that's being done on a mass scale because we have the internet. And, you know, for everything that is positive about spaces like Instagram, which I love, I have an equal, you know, fear of because there is an exposure. And people will say, well, you're allowing yourself to be exposed. But in reality, it is 
a channel to help people and a channel to market businesses, a channel to share what you love, a channel to like document your life. Maybe people use it for so many things. And to connect with people, you know, like, sorry to interrupt, but I find connection is amazing on there, but also such a terrible curse if it's the wrong kind of connection, you know? Yeah. (laughs) And most people came at the same as anything. It's just like, oh, hi, I'm interested in this, you know, fitness. So the people you presume will come along will be like, oh God, I'm interested in fitness too. Let me come and look. This Mm. is what I want to talk about. This is what I'm interested in. This is what I wanted to see. This is what I want to learn about. And if you had an allowable amount of followers, people let you crack on with that. But once it reaches a certain point, people are just like, oh, now, now we deem you to have something that you now owe us. And for that, you have to be who I allow you to be rather than who you are. And if you're not that, then, you know, I'm going to have something to say about it. So it's weird in that way, you know, and that's what we have to accept. If you were to advertise, I'm going to hold a fitness class on Saturday at 9am in the town hall, you would expect people to come that wanted to partake in that. You wouldn't expect five or 10 of them to turn up to tell you what you're doing wrong. The difference with the internet is that that that's what we're doing. So for people to say, you know, we are opening up to it, I'm just like, well, you are and you aren't because I don't expect everybody to agree or for everybody to want my particular method or my particular sense of humor or the way that I like to word things. You know, I swear a lot. I have a lot of beliefs that other people don't have, but I also don't require you to have them. Mm. What I require you to do is not be offended by them. Mm. And if you do want to discuss them, to do it in a way that you're as open as I am. If you're coming in to tell me I'm wrong and it's this way, then the response is always going to be, this isn't an open discussion. Mm. If somebody's going to judge me without, and this is important <laughs> you know, across the board, if somebody's going to make assumptions and judge me, having never met me, let alone spoke to me, then there is nothing I can do about that. Because the judgment is not about me because we've never met. The judgment is about the soundbite of me that has offended you. Mm. There are soundbites of me that offend me. <laughs> Same. You know? There, yeah. there are versions of me I wouldn't go for lunch with. Mm. There's so much room and space for me to go, okay, you, you know what? Maybe I shouldn't have said it like that. But there's also no need for that to be the only thing about me. And this is the thing, this is what I just feel is so important is one of the things that I learned the most from you is we all have a light and a darkness about us. So many people at the moment are wanting to be never sad, never angry, never challenged, never depressed, never crying. I was there. That was me. Every time I cried, why are you crying, Alice? Oh my God, you've got things so good. Why are you crying? I had a day where I didn't want to get out of bed. Why the hell are you depressed, Alice? You have so much going for you. Like Mm. you have no reason to be in bed and not get out of that bed. But all of us have a light and a darkness. I am now not apologetic for the fact that I feel challenged by things that might not challenge the next person. For me, they are challenging. They make me cry. I am allowed to be, you know, sad and angry and have this darkness within me. And that doesn't make me a bad person. Not at all. We we need to allow that in everybody. But more mm. so being is, you know, something that you struggle with one day 
may not be something you struggle with a week later when you are in a different state. Mm -hmm. And what we take for granted sometimes or judge ourselves on is like, you should, you should be okay with this. You should be able to do this. You've got X, Y, and Z. You shouldn't feel this way. And the point is, your body and your subconscious is not reacting to reality. It is reacting to the state you are in. Mm. And the state we are in is where we are making decisions or judgments on ourselves. You know, when we are in a really good way, for most people, this may be on holiday, for example, where we feel completely relaxed. There is a different vibe about ourselves. It's everything feels less stressful, you know, pre-traveling times as they are now. But there would be a point people would be like, oh, I'm a completely different person on holiday. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you're not a different person. Your state has changed. You have got your body into a state where it has relaxed and it is feeling feelings and it is in a good state. So making decisions from there feels really easy. Being creative is really easy in that state, having great ideas, being excited for life. But when we're back in a different environment and something happens to change our state, then the same thing could happen that we normally breeze through and it can feel devastating. Uh, It can feel like it stopped us in our tracks. It can feel like it's life-changing. And then we're judging ourselves for the way that we feel, which is just layering onto it. So that critic is grabbing this and it's getting stored as fact when it isn't. Mm. You know, and my newsletter today was on this, which affronted me. And it was just like, stop avoiding negative feelings because we're supposed to get angry. We're supposed to get sad. We're supposed to, you know, have a vast majority of excitement, of worry, of fear. It's all supposed to be in there. But what we're not supposed to do is make our biggest decisions in our poorest states. Yeah. We have to let the poor state pass and allow it through and acknowledge and witness it to then get back to a good state and make our decisions from our good state. Mm. That's the difference. I don't think we should be high vibe, but I think we should recognize we should not make big decisions in low states because our choices will always be against us. Yeah. One of the feelings that I think um, I'd love to discuss with you is this idea of jealousy. You mentioned a couple of negative, or I put in quotation marks, negative feelings there. And I would probably lump jealousy into that. But I think it's a feeling that we are confronted with a lot more than we would probably be willing to admit to at the moment because we are having windows into so many more people's lives than ever before. And we are seeing experiences that might be vastly different to our own. And that can be really challenging. I am someone who has experienced jealousy many times and have been so embarrassed about that feeling and so self-critical that I had dared to feel jealous of someone else for something. Usually it's like, why did she get that and I didn't get it? Or I want to be able to do that. How, or like, how come she's doing that and I'm not? And I think that it would be really interesting to hear how you navigate that feeling and how people can actually sit with their jealousy in a way that isn't oh my god I'm a terrible person for feeling this way the interesting thing is where it leads to Mm. you know and what I always say to people is in this moment of jealousy in reality what's happening as you've just said why did she get that and not me comparison what are you comparing did you actually have the same experience was the same opportunity available is this true In reality, comparison comes from a feeling of low self-esteem. So jealousy is low self-esteem. And when we can recognize in that moment, that's what we're going through. And then to see that we're actually taking a moment of low self-esteem and judging ourselves for having it, 
we're just reinforcing I'm a shit person. Mm. So the low self-esteem gets fed rather than, oh, is this jealousy? Or is this actually a moment for me to step in and look at my self-esteem, work on that and recognize that that's now an opportunity or it's showing me what I want, it's showing me a desire. And if the desire is there, am I actually going for it? You know, so many people slip into jealousy, which can very easily slip into hatred, which can be that I don't like this person because I think she has this and I don't have it. And it can be a complete stranger. So we've got no idea what their day looks like, who they are, what their history looks like and what it took them to get there, let alone to have that one moment we've just defined them by. And in that, we're also looking at the fact that we're so busy looking over there at what I'm jealous of. We're not looking over here at what's missing for me. Mm. Because I'm only jealous of something I believe I cannot have or I believe I would have to work a lot harder for. It would be a fluke. It would be something else rather than in most instances when we take away some... um, issues that exist that everybody isn't on the same platform most of us have the ability to go after what we want but we don't have the confidence faith or self-esteem to do so so when we're sitting in jealousy it is very much the case of oh somebody's done something that I'm not prepared to do myself and I've got a bit of a cob on that they've got a reward for it but I'm still not going to do it Mm. but we will sit there and say well I did try And when I, again, ask people, show me your proof of you trying for this, they'll scramble around for something, but they haven't really gone for it. The same as when I say to people, tell me 10 things you don't like about yourself. There's an immediate word vomit. Tell me 10 Mm. things that are great about you. Huh? They'll get to free and then they'll be like, I'm struggling. The way that we operate is to store so much of our incapabilities of what we believe about ourselves to be true on the negative Hmm. bit for safety for fear because we're feeling downtrodden because we've had experiences because things have led us to believe this but when we go for truth have you tried are you doing all you can to get there are you taking these steps do you believe you can get there most people would say no Hmm. in reality but they're annoyed other people have taken those steps and then you find so many people would justify where they are by saying oh i was lucky I got in at the right time. It's much harder for people now. And I'm just like, well, is that true? Is that true? Or are you now taking all of the steps that you took and the work that you did to get where you are? And are you bypassing that as a fluke Mm. so that you can't feel shame about your success? Most people, yeah. Mm. So shame and guilt are operating on both ends of the spectrum for the guilty person and for the successful person. For the person that's jealous, which is actually comparison, which is self-esteem. And in reality, nobody wants to say, I've got self-esteem issues. It's easier to say I'm jealous. Mm. And in the same breath, nobody wants to say, I've got success issues. They'd rather say, I'm just really grateful and lucky. Mm. Um, And it's the ownership in identity again. Is this something that I'm doing that I value, that I can identify with? And am I strong enough in my identity and my beliefs and values or are they in conflict with each other? Mm. So most people, when I do a beliefs and values sheet with them and just look at what are they, do you live by them or do you hold other people accountable to them? Most people just hold other people accountable to them. You know, I, I don't like liars. So, you know, it could be one thing. Honesty and truth is really important to me. So if somebody isn't honest or true, then I hold them accountable what about you? 
You know, are you honest and true to yourself? Oh, awkward. Mm. But that's not something you're going to deal with. You're too busy over there punishing the person who had the audacity to tell you a lie to your face. Mm. But you are lying to yourself consistently. We have to be, and that comes into our internal boundaries and everything else. But when I do this work with people, it generally twists things on their head. And they're a bit like, oh, you know, I thought I was in integrity with myself, but Mm -hmm. it's only with other people. Mm Mm-hmm. Definitely something I can relate to for sure. Oh, I think that, um, yeah, I think that boundaries are the next place that I'd love to go because I think that that's something that I am slowly learning to implement, um, but that I have definitely lacked over the last few years. And I think that all of us in the world that we now exist in need to have a sense of, of what are my boundaries? How do I put them in? How do I protect myself from you know, there are certain things that I think we need to learn to be boundaried on, basically. Um, And I think that social media opens up a lot of opportunities for people to have those boundaries um, challenged. Mm. Um, How does one go about, first of all, what is a boundary? What even is it? What do we mean by them? In reality, it's what do you give your agreement to? If I was going to narrow it down, I'd say any boundary I have is something that I'm giving agreement to or any boundary I don't have. <laughs> it's the same thing. Yeah. Our internal boundaries need to be looked at first. And I think most people rush to their external boundaries. Um, you're not allowed to do this or you know, you, you can't have this from me anymore. Stop giving it. Uh, have boundaries around how much you use social media have a boundary around what you will engage in, have a boundary around what you won't engage in. Unfortunately, as with anything in life, if you were in a job interview and three people said you were brilliant on the panel and one person was like, I'm not sure, you would walk away thinking about the one person that wasn't sure about you. When a hundred people like a picture and one person writes a comment to say that it's wrong, the one comment about it being wrong is the thing that will be the most space-taking in your mind. Mm. Uh, The same thing for anything else. Lots of people can tell us something is good, but one bad review and we start to question if it should exist. Mm. The boundaries here have to be internally on, is this true? Am I prepared to take this person's opinion as fact? Or am I prepared to read something and take it the same way as I've just taken the compliment with a pinch of salt. Hmm. Is this person in my life? Do they know me? Have I had any kind of interaction with this person outside of a post that was written as information rather than as dialogue one-to-one? And it is that part. It is community, it is connection. But until we have communicated one-to-one or connected one-to-one in any way, then we still don't know each other, Mm. you know, and that's the thing we have to realize we have common interests. We have common agreements, which is why we're in the same space, but there will be things, as I say, if there's something I've written that I can disagree with, I guarantee you an awful lot of other people could disagree with it in that moment. If they weren't sitting, reading it through my lens of the world at that time, Mm. But our boundaries have to be in that respect of what am I prepared to engage in? 
if somebody says something that I don't agree with, am I willing to sit with it rather than answering it immediately? Can I not be instant? Do I have to comment on things because I think I need to? Or do I want to? Do I understand enough to comment? Is it my place to comment? Mm. Um, do I want to? Or do I fear if I don't, I'll be persecuted for not commenting? Mm. Do I have to be an expert on everything? Or can I be a human being that's open to learning, that's experiencing life like the rest of us? Uh, and my success, my numbers, or anything else are irrelevant to that. You know, if you ask me, in your case, if I'm coming to you, I would expect you to be an expert in your field, not in the whole of the fields of every single subject going on in the world. Mm. I don't feel we have to take responsibility for everything. Mm. And I think we have to be clear on what we will take responsibility on. Responsibility for ourselves but also responsibility that other people have for themselves. Are you responsible for what other people believe as a result of engaging with you? Unless it's one-to-one, you can't even know what that is. Mm. We can't understand what other people are on. So boundaries in real life could be boundaries around our time, boundaries around, you know, even when we'll look at emails, uh, when we'll put do not disturb on. I have really strict boundaries on my phone after 9pm. I'm not your lady to contact in an emergency. I'm mm. not there. It's, it's on do not disturb. Boundaries around money. Boundaries around friendships. Boundaries around relationships. And that's not just physical, I can see this boundaries, but it's very much even I'm not going to agree with everything you say because I think you'll leave if I don't. Mm. So what we need to do is create safety in ourselves to have more of ourselves in our lives. Mm. And the safety has to come from within. You know, do I feel safe enough to say this? And if I don't, am I willing to address that? Because if I don't, it will continue. Mm. So there's so much more in self-responsibility. And I think humans in general have forgotten about self-responsibility, have responsibility for the fact that even if we're offended by somebody, it is our responsibility to process that first and then address it second if it even needs addressing. Mm. If it's somebody in our real life. Accountability on ourselves, uh, on who we are, how we're showing up, how we're treating people, how people feel as a result of being in our actual presence, how we want to feel by the end of today by being the person that we are. And as for this pursuit of purpose... I'm like, the only purpose we have is to live life. It is not a job. You are not going to go and find it in a job. It's just another distraction. Our purpose is to live life and to love our lives and to enjoy ourselves and to get as much joy as we can squeeze out of it. Unfortunately, we were spending 90% of our time looking for fucking problems. That is not the purpose of your life. Your purpose of life is not to go and earth and highlight other people's flaws or your own on repeat. It is to find joy in as much as you can. If you find joy in embroidery, if you find joy in sport, if you find joy in painting, if you find joy in decorating, um, setting up homes, if you find joy in coaching, in learning, if you find joy in banking and finance and maths, find your joy. 
your joy is then it's it's anchoring and supporting my purpose which is to live a happy life so my relationships should support that my bank balance should support that my environment should support that my health should support that my friendship group should support that and if they're not i'm in the wrong place uh, that's your purpose find it out find out what brings you joy and then seek it seek it as often and as in many pockets of your life as possible and you will find that life is easier mm. oh my god that was just the most amazing answer I was like where do I go from here <laughs> finding your joy for sure oh my god like I think that that's one of the things that I'm working really hard to do at the moment it's hard to have spent a lot of my time I'm saying it's hard it's hard within the context I guess of where I'm at to spend a lot of time doing a lot of growing up very publicly online mm. to then be like, where do I find my joy? Because it's not in likes and followers. That stuff is great. And I'm very, very grateful for it. But my joy is watching TV on the weekend. It's going to the gym and, and like doing a good gym session. It's going for a walk with my mom. You know, like those are the things that I look at and go, oh, that's where my joy is. And that stuff can't be bottled up and posted on social media. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, I will never do YouTube, for example. For me, I'm like, I need to live my life for me. I don't need to live it for, a, a, you know, a following or the people that expect certain things of me. Like my life is to be lived for the small pieces of joy that can't be shared in a photo or a video. Um, and I think that the more that more of us do that, the more that you can really get the most from using social media and from not using it as well. Um, I think I wanted to close this conversation with you um, by asking you if you could share, I guess I'm going to say, I was going to say your top, but maybe your top three tips for how people can live a more joyful life. You know, like if someone was to leave here and say, I want to find my joy, I want to be happy, and I just want to have a little bit more peace in my day-to-day. -day. Yeah. What would you say as your advice for those things? Get really curious, like super curious, like you did as a kid. Do I like this? Even down to what you're eating. You know, we've got so into routine of eating the same thing on repeat or ordering something or going to some restaurants. Like get curious. Do I like it in here still? Do I enjoy this? Is this person a really good friend with me? Am I a really good friend with them? Get curious about, do I enjoy this? Am I reading this and loving it? What do I watch? Why? Curiosity will serve you back to your joy. Um, consumption. Don't be consumed by anything. Consume things, but not to the point where they are consuming you. You know, and that's, that's with anything. Don't let something become a burnout project, whether that's consuming scrolling, consuming other people because I'm not enjoying myself and so it's consuming me that I'm not them. Consuming too many box sets because you're refusing to get out and find your joy. You know, really look at consumption and what that means to you and whether you are over consuming anything so that it is consuming you. You have lost the balance. Mm. Um, and my third one, oh, have more fun you know I'm like is this difficult yeah but could it be fun yeah it could inject something within it is this always going to be easy no but could I make it easier 100% am I good all of the time no but could I be better yes am I always looking forward to that yes 
Uh, and the way that we are then positioning the brain to look for things in that space. As I say, I'm always open to being wrong. Somebody might say, you come and said this and that was wrong. And I'm just like, you know what? Maybe it is. Talk to me. Let's see where you're co- Are we actually coming from the same place? But we talk differently. What is going on? Mm. Be more curious. And as I say, that's within our consumption, within our joy, within what we're doing. And be more open to looking at judgment from not am I doing well to am I doing well? Yes. Could I do better? I'm looking forward to it. Mm. You know, that's all is coming. I'm coming in that direction and that's my direction. My speed doesn't matter, but my direction matters. Am I in the right direction? And if I'm not, am I willing to change it? Mm. So I would say question everything. Yeah. Oh my God. I love those. Love those. There was probably more than three there, but yeah, question everything is what I would say is my best, my best bit of advice. I love them. Wendy, if people want to find you on social media, um, do you want to share your uh, at and also I think you've got your website as well which is a great resource yeah the website is always under construction because I change my mind daily <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, I'm on Instagram as at the completion coach that's really the only place I am at the moment perfect thank you so so much this has been like I said I wasn't going to use it as a therapy session I pretty much shared so much stuff there but I just I really feel that you speak so much sense and truth and um, you've really helped me personally and professionally. So I just wanted to say a massive thank you. So yeah, I really hope this conversation was useful for people and um, I hope that people come and find your social media and engage with your wisdom. Thank you. Thank you, my love. Thanks. you so much for listening i really hope you enjoyed that episode i would love it if you could take some time to rate review and follow the podcast as it really helps others to find it we have a new episode dropping each week so this will also ensure you don't miss out see you next time insanity group